0: So, we have made it to the end, the end of the summer, and the end of this series that we've been calling Psalms for the Journey. So, there is lots to celebrate as we come to the end. Lots to celebrate, uh, hopefully, as you have uh, come to the end of a summer full of goodness and slower pace, hopefully and some good time away. This psalm, Psalm 130, is appropriately the last of our series because it's the final psalm in the Psalm of Ascents that we've been studying. So the Psalm of Ascents begins with Psalm 120, and it ends with Psalm 134, part of the larger book, part of the larger 150 psalms, but this Psalms of Ascent is a particular section of psalms that we have been uh, working through as a group of teachers and communicators. It's been a really rich series, I think. I trust that you've enjoyed hearing from different people and different perspectives every week. And so, part of the image that lots of us have been working with as we've worked through these Psalms is this image of this group of people who were going somewhere to Jerusalem on, on a pilgrimage. This pilgrimage happens three times a year, and as they walk, they they work through these psalms. They 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 sing them, they sing them more than once, maybe on the journey. I mean, we never talked about this as a group, but like, did they pace it so that by the time they arrived in Jerusalem, they'd be singing Psalm 134? I wonder. Or did they just kind of go through it? You know, just start at the beginning. Once you get through to Psalm 134, and you just keep going until you get to the end. I'm not sure. But there is a sense in this psalm of, ah, we're, we're here, a sense of arrival. The sense that you would have, perhaps, at the end of a long journey. Here's how it sounds in the NIV. Psalm 134. You can follow along if you have it in your Bibles or, or read along with me as you read it on PowerPoint. Psalm 134, a song of sense. Praise the Lord All you servants of the Lord who minister by day in the house of the Lord, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who is the maker of heaven and earth. So a reference to praise, a reference to Zion, a reference to the sanctuary, the temple in Jerusalem. So if you can imagine, if they timed it, if those... People on pilgrimage, if those pilgrims timed it right so that Psalm 134 was sung right as they entered into the gates of Jerusalem, it would be the sense of, we're here, praise God, we made it, woohoo, like a celebration, right? And that is certainly an important part of this psalm. It is a praise psalm, a celebration for where we have arrived to. But this is not the only context for the psalm. It's not just gratitude for having arrived somewhere. There is also indication that we are not all the way there yet in our journey. And how do I know that? Well, if you read carefully, you'll see that there's a specific reference, a specific designation to to some people. The psalm was first of all addressed to who? To who? The servants of the Lord. And, and when exact, they were worshipping in the temple, and when was it that they were worshipping? At night. The message version brings this out a little bit more clearly. Come, bless God, all you servants of God, you priests of God posted to the night watch in God's shrine. Lift your praising hands to the holy place and bless God. In turn, may God of Zion bless you, God who made heaven and earth. Now, I think how it worked was that they didn't necessarily have priests in the temple all around the clock, all around the year, but in festival times, they would have posted their priests for a 24-hour rotation. So that there was somebody worshipping and praying in the temple all the time. Perhaps even to welcome the pilgrims regardless of the time at which they arrived. So the psalm, perhaps, is is originally addressed to those priests who were unlucky enough to have drawn the short straw and to have like the 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. shift. You know, that shift that nobody else wants. Unless you're Becca Berkner and you're the awesome shift worker that you are. But most people I would think would be like, oh, no, nah, I'm on the 2 a.m. shift. Oh, that's the worst shift. Because it's when you're tired. It's when your eyes are droopy. It's, it's when it's dark. And maybe it's when, you know, it doesn't really matter if you're doing a good job or not because no one's, no one's going to be there. But this psalm is addressed by way of encouragement to those people. Those ministers, those priests, in the darkest hour, in the dark when you're tired and you barely have energy to lift your hands, lift them. Open your eyes, lift them. Don't give up, keep going. So this is a psalm about, yay, we're here. But this is also a psalm that encourages us to keep going. In the darkest time, when you're feeling tired and discouraged and maybe even a little lonely, keep going. So it turns out there is a word here for us regardless of what kind of summer we had, regardless of how we feel going into September. Whether it's like, yeah, it was an awesome summer and totally looking forward to September, or whether it's like, I don't know, I thought it was not the best summer, and oh, September is going to be hard. There's a word here for either of you. Depending on where you fall on that spectrum, on one extreme or the other, or anywhere in between, the charge is bless God or praise God. What does that mean? What does that mean, bless God or praise God? Like what, what is that? Lift up your praising hands to God. What? what does that mean? When we dig down underneath all those religious words that we're used to hearing, what does it actually mean to praise God? And why does God need our blessing anyways? Like God's the one who blesses us. Why does God need my blessing? Another way to understand that term, bless God, is to speak well of God. The psalm is telling us, regardless of how we're feeling, to speak well of God. And there's an emphasis here not just on speaking well of God, but somehow involving our bodies, our hands, to speak well. To honor, to speak well of God. And so, again, the question, why? Why does God need us to speak well of him? Is he that insecure in his own self that he needs people to boister his ego? I don't think so. That doesn't sound like God. Why Why the need for us to speak well of God? Why the need for us to use our words and actions to speak well, to bless God? Well, when we speak well of God, we remember what is true. It's a fundamentally important practice in the Christian life, whether things are going well or not, to remind ourselves that God is good, to remind ourselves that God is at work in every moment of our lives, regardless of the experience. And so we speak well of God to remember what is true. And by doing this, we also cultivate gratitude in our hearts a fundamentally important posture for seeing God and understanding God and experiencing God. My friend Margo Margo Sadler talks about a family that she knows, not a Christian family, but a very Christian practice that they have. They have an awesome jar. And so whenever anything happens that they are Uh, excited by something that happens that they want to remember because it was awesome, they write it down on a slip of paper and they stick it in the awesome jar. And then when they need a reminder that life is okay and that it will be okay again, they take out a memory from their awesome jar. What a wonderful practice to cultivate gratitude, especially for us who know that we have someone to thank for the awesomeness. I feel very fortunate that, as a believer in a good God, when something like a beautiful sunset happens, like as I saw a few days ago, I have someone to thank, someone who is the source of that goodness. And so we speak well of God to remind ourselves what's true about God and to cultivate gratitude. And all those things, we do those things, and so we're encouraged in our faith. It's an encouragement to remember what's true. It's an encouragement to say thank you. And more than that, it's an encouragement to hear other people speak well of God. It's an encouragement to hear other people give thanks. So this blessing and praising God, you can do it by yourself, but it's far more effective done in community. It's far more effective, especially if you're not sure whether God is good, to remember and to hear from someone else in your community that God is good. We don't do this alone, or at least we can't do it alone for very long. So it turns out that this blessing God is not actually for God. It's not actually for God's ego at all. It's, it's for us. Praising God, speaking well of God, that's for our benefit. It's not for God's benefit at all. It's all designed for us to experience the blessing that God is already giving us. Eugene Peterson's translation of the very end of that psalm is, Bless God, and in turn, may God bless you. So that's not a transaction. I want you to hear that really clearly. It's not, oh, you better say these nice things about God because he's withholding blessing from you and he's not going to say anything, he's not going to do anything nice for you until you say three nice things about him. No, that's not the God we serve, friends. This idea of speaking well of God is a way of us having our eyes open to see how God is already blessing us. bless God, and in turn, God blesses us. Now, it's not transactional. You just heard me say that. It's also not fake it till you make it. Although there is something to be said for fake it till you make it. I got to say, I live a lot of my life that way, actually. But it's not, it's not hypocrisy. It's not pretend everything's okay. It's not pretend you have everything together. But it is living as if those words that you're saying are true, because they are true in a fundamental sense, right? So these words of worship that we sing today, God is good, for you are good, you don't have to sing that in a way that makes you the happy, clappy, victorious Christian where everything is okay. You can sing God is good as an assurance to yourself, acknowledging that even though things are hard, God is good. There's even there's even room for a lament in the midst of that praise psalm. You might not know it from the words that we from the songs that we sing on an average church service on a Sunday, but most of the psalms that we find in those 150 are lament psalms. 70% in fact are lamenting for how Hard things are, calling out to God because God seems absent. How long, O Lord, how long? Lament psalms, grieving the state of the world. And yet there are also praise psalms like this one to remind us that even in the midst of the hardest time, even in the midst of the darkest night, there is reason to praise not as a denial of the hard, not as a denial of our grief, but as a reminder of what's true. That's why we say to one another, God is good. And all the time? And we remind ourselves of that because sometimes we are just overflowing with gratitude and goodness and those words slip off our tongue with, with, with ease. And other times they don't but it's still important to say them because they remain true. And in the midst of this declaration, this, this speaking well of God in Psalm 134, we also remember that, that that's the last word. Praise and thanks is, is the last word. Lament lament is never the last word. And so I want to invite you now at the end of this summer and this day of many of us returning from various experiences and trips and camps, I want to invite you now to speak well of God, to share those stories of God's goodness with one another, and to do it in a way, not just to encourage one another, but in a way to prepare us for the table that we will be coming to, a table that is the best celebration of God's goodness God ever thought of. The table, of course, in some traditions is called the Eucharistic table, which actually means the table of giving thanks. So what better way to prepare our hearts and to enter into the posture of thanksgiving than to share stories of God's goodness? with one another. So um, how do you wanna speak well of God today? You might just wanna say how faithful and how gracious and how gentle God is. You might wanna just share an attribute of God or you might wanna share a story with us and stories would be wonderful. I know lots of you have some good stories to tell given the richness of the summer that you've had. And so uh, there is a microphone Uh, which uh, I will happily bring around to any of you uh, if you uh, have a story of God's goodness. Andrew Chong, ready to share a story of God's
1: goodness. Can I stand here, Clayton? Okay. Hello. I've been gone a lot. It's nice to see you. I was gone uh, 37 days so far in a bunch of different youth things and some time with my wife. And... uh, I knew I was going to share. I got tipped off that I could probably share something. And I wasn't quite sure what. I felt like God was asking me to wait a little bit. Wait, wait, wait. And then I saw Nancy Nichols, and I, tur- and I started tearing up. And I cried through most of the sermon. But I want to talk about your son, Justin. who blessed our youth a lot. Um, it's been a summer of overflowing. That's the word. Like a wine glass where the, where the red wine just spills out the sides. It's not always like that, but that was the summer. And I think way back, like 2005, five, six. when I was so sad that I couldn't be involved in youth ministry, I would, like, come home from summer camp, and I'd lie in my bed and cry. And I was kind of embarrassed. I was crying. But I was on this separate track with journalism and the Canucks and doing an editor, editor job with the magazine. And uh, Justin told me way back then, you know, you'd be good in ministry someday. But I had a whole thing set up, and I had a marriage coming, and a mortgage, and I couldn't change. But then God changed it, and the past six, seven years have been a beautiful time of a whole bunch of people in this room helping create a team of partners, who I think is one of the strongest partner bases for a youth worker in the country. We have volunteers doing the 10,000 cookies. We have... um, people praying for our youth all the time, and I get to tell the youth that. We took a group that we've been mentoring for a year in leadership, and we spent July in Rwanda with them. We are working with the youth in the city on City Fest, moving down to the shipyards in May, which you're all invited to on May 2nd. And most recently, we took a group of kids who wouldn't normally get to go to Disneyland to Disneyland, so we just got back the other day. And this is where your son lives and where your son comes in. And um, these are kids who we met in Carson Graham three years ago in the cafeteria when we were handing out cookies that people here baked. And we've been mentoring them for a long time. So they saved half the fee, and we went. And we just went to have fun. And on the first night, uh, your son and his partner, Jaime, drove through that LA rush hour traffic about 90, 100 minutes from Burbank through L.A. into Anaheim, and they took our kids for dinner. And uh, who better than your son to meet a bunch of sassy grade 12
2: girls?
1: (laughs) And he commented on how he loved their long purple nails, and they talked about drag queens and uh, YouTube star drama and people having sex and all kinds of great topics. And uh, one of our girls in particular, Alana, she... You know, she's been through everything, and she's only 17. She lost her mom when she was just 12 to cancer, and she's had uh, hell in her home, and she's had hell in her personal life. And there's this vision of Justin and Alana walking from the Mexican place to the ice cream place, talking about film, because Alana's dream is to be a director. And here's your Emmy award-winning son, talking about what it's like to work for Disney or Netflix, and asking her about her favorite films. and Who could have planned this stuff mm-hmm. but God, you know? And so after the meeting, a few days went by, we were about to leave to go home, and we got a text from Justin and Jaime saying, oh, what a blessing to meet your youth. And then I said, well, they said the same thing about you, and they want to know when you're visiting Vancouver. And so like, they're thankful, and they're thankful, and I'm thankful. And this, to me, is the overflow of God. Uh, Alana said at the end, or during the trip, she said, I haven't felt like this in a long time. And for that, I say God is good. Thank oh, you, God.
0: Oh, sweet. Thank you, Andrew. And thank you, Nancy, for having such a great son. <laughs> Ooh, that was a good one. Don't be, don't be intimidated by the goodness of that story. There are lots more. Uh, <laughs> huh? Maybe we should have saved Andrew to the end. Oh, well, it's Okay. I bet you Andrea has a good story. Well, I can't, I can't
3: really match that. But um, I, I'm struck by how often God's goodness to others is shown by using us. And, oh gosh, I didn't think I would cry telling you this story. But anyway, uh, one of the last days we were in Nishisa, uh, we were blessed by uh, a lunch being put on for us by the parents of one of my sponsored children. And I, I didn't expect it because Stephen had graduated from the program, he'd aged out, and he was graduating from high school, and I didn't, I wasn't even sure I'd see him. And uh, his family lives right across the street from the school, so it, I, it was kind of stupid that I didn't think I'd see him. Um, but they put on a lunch for us um, out of gratitude for the fact that this was the first of their family to graduate from high school. And there, are, I think there's nine children in the family, and it was, it was a fabulous lunch. Um, but it was more humbling than anything because, I didn't do a heck of a lot. Um, but God used the small amount that I gave, to bless that family, and so it's uh, God's goodness often flows through us, and uh, we should be encouraged to pay attention when He's asking us to do that.
0: Thank you for sharing that, Andrea. It's so good. Anyone else like to give thanks?
4: And Barb, do you want to stand up? Sure. So I w- also I'm just back from Nashisa, and uh, some of my friends who don't come to church ask me about the trip, and then I'm like, oh, like what do you share with people who you know are not believers? And then, you know, I realized, so I know that God has hope for my life and for my future. I mean, he says that in the Word. But what I got to see on the faces of these children and in their eyes and in their smiles was hope. Hmm. And I'm just so grateful that we, the food for the hungry is the, like, got to be the messenger of that hope, so the hope in Christ, but the hope on the ground too, the practical parts. so hope for a future. And um, yeah, it was just inspiring in a world that sometimes there's so much climate change and so many politics, sometimes it, it can feel discouraging for me, but to see how much that difference that makes for that one child And for their family and then for their community it's just only only God can do that and the other thing that was hopeful for me was to see our youth because I don't you know I don't hang around with 14 year olds as a rule these days (laughs) and so just to to, um, know that they're gonna carry forward uh, this you know this mission and bring hope for the world is also I'm um, encouraged my heart. Mm-hmm.
0: Well said, Barb. Thank you. Would anyone else like to speak well of God today? Or a story you would like to
5: share? I'm not going to share an Asisha story today. Um, but I just want to share a story of how God shows up in the, the boring long game. Um... As a mom of three kids, as they've gotten older, you you lose control of their influences. And one of the things that has given me such delight in this last season of life is watching how God is wooing my kids. Um, they all had some incredible experiences this summer of God wooing them. I don't know if they have all perceived it that way. But as a parent, you start getting to be the bystander. You get to kind of be the witness. And, um, and it's, it's been a season of, you know, sometimes there's seasons of sadness and fear and anxiety in parenting. in this small little season this year, in the last couple of months has been a real season of joy and gratitude.
0: That's beautiful, thank you. I see that hand, Peter.
6: Thanks, so this November will mark our eighth year in Canada and it's not necessarily been a straightforward journey, it's been quite hard at times. But this past week we actually had the pleasure of dropping our daughter off at university. So that's the first one we send. But I want to kind of speak well of God, because he's seen us through this journey. Uh, for my daughter, it's not been necessarily been an easy journey. Uh, she's not like a natural math whiz or anything like that. But uh, she still ended up in a really good university, and so we decided, as a, my wife and I, as we brought her there, that we were going to drive down to New York and let her see some shows, because she's in theatre production, that's her, what she does. And uh, as we're driving into Brooklyn, so personally, when we came here, God kind of spoke to us in certain ways and I started to doubt those ways over the last eight years because, you know, it didn't, wasn't as straightforward as I thought it would be, right? And as we drive into Brooklyn, this car cuts in front of me and the license plate is just, this is at night, you know, it's like 8 p.m. The license plate is JHN 6590. Then what does that mean, right? Nothing. And suddenly it's like lightning strikes, John 659. John 6, 5, 9, what's that? So that's a story where Jesus takes the loaves and the breads and feeds the 5,000. And it really just gave me that immense sense that, I got this, you do your part. Whatever it is, whatever small thing it is, you do it. I will take care of it. And so this whole you know, fear of sending your eldest daughter off to university suddenly kind of became something else. Like, I got this, I'll take care of this. Mm-hmm you do your part I got it and for that I really want to thank God.
0: That's wonderful Peter. I feel like God speaks to you with street signs. There's like another story you have about street signs. Yeah,
7: know.
0: Anyone else like to speak well of God before we uh, celebrate communion together?
2: God has blessed me with so much hope and faith and believe in him, and uh, often wonder why he picked me (laughs) to go on living my life. And I don't know, a lot of people don't know my story, but I was diagnosed with fourth stage melanoma. and was on my brain. I had six lesions on my brain. Now, I have nothing on my brain and nothing in my body. Mm. Um... And uh, all I can say is a thank you, Father, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm not worthy and I'm still looking for what my purpose is with you, but I'm going to follow you. And uh, I work with some people in the BC Cancer Agency. Uh, that's the beginning, but there's so much more to do, and uh, I think There's a calling there for everybody in this room. Uh, uh, I go back a long way to the Tom Gamut days, who was a very close friend of mine, and Patty Duclos and Jake Penner, and they were all upset with me because I had different opinions of what Cap Church was about, like many of us, I suppose, but uh, I still loved them. You know, I still respected them, and I missed them dearly. Um, but uh, I'm back, you know, I've been drawn by. There's a group of people here that have a gift, and some of them don't know it, but uh, we're here for a reason. And, uh, and as long as we stick together and grow, uh, only good things are going to come out of it. You know, um, well, that's my belief, and uh, like I said, uh, uh, my very good friend David Ferris, he's not going to make it mm-hmm. too much longer. but I'm uh, I'm going to go see him this afternoon. And on Wednesday, I hope, and uh, try to talk him to staying around for my selfish reasons, Mm -hmm. you know. But, I mean, he was a wonderful man, and uh, he's a Christian, and he doesn't even know it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know. uh, Christine tried bringing him here many times, uh, but, of course, it didn't work out. For Mm -hmm. some of us, it doesn't. But anyway, I don't want to go on too much longer. It's just a wonderful group of people. I don't know half of you are new. But uh, the ones that I grew with uh, and got closer to God with are still here. And uh, I am thank God for that. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be around you know, as long thank as you, he Ross. wants me to be. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Ross. I wonder, um, just uh, looking around here, Randine, I feel like we should be praying for Dave and Christine Ferris just in this moment. Would someone like to do that? Jen's going to do that? Randine was looking startled that I asked her, so I think, Jen, Jen you're the person. Let's, uh, as we close this time uh, in speaking well of God, we can trust that he's going to be faithful in the places where uh, we need him to be.
7: So please pray. Thank you. So I just want to say quickly, like who we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So Christine, Thanks, Christine Morton, um, who you might know from being here for a long time. This is her husband, David, and then this would be Patty and Carol's uh, brother-in-law, right? So, okay. And sorry, he's dying. Um, <sighs> and uh, the thing he has has been diagnosed for about a year now, and it has a complicated name, and I don't know it, but um, but yeah, it's coming. So, um, sorry. Jesus, we pray that your presence would be in David and Christine's house today and for all of their days, and we pray that in amongst what feels like a lot of um, sadness and also decision-making, that you would be with them that there would be a holy awareness of making good decisions um, for what what the end will look like for David. And I pray as well for their family that are all connected, people like Ross, longtime friends, Terry Burns, other people that are connected to them and who um, want to finish well with David. I pray that there would be a lot of grace and love connection. I pray for their kids, too, that they would know your spirit and your presence as they lose their dad. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, Jen. That's the kind of prayers we have to pray and I'm glad we ended there because to come to a good God and to speak well of God I think also inspires in us the longing to see more of God's goodness in those places where we have yet to see it. And so as we come to the table with hearts uh, full of gratitude for a good God, may we remember that God knows what it's like to both be praising and to be sorrowful. That our God is a good God who knew exactly what we needed and offered himself as the remedy. This is a God who knew that we needed restoration with him, that we needed forgiveness for our sins, that we needed hope beyond the grave. And so Jesus offered us himself and offers us himself here at this table.